0: Our first presentation uh, this evening is entitled Revelations End Time People. And before we get into God's Word, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, what a wonderful journey we have been on, Lord, as we have come night after night studying your Word. And Lord, we pray that once again your Holy Spirit, Father, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible writers, would be here, Lord, to touch our hearts tonight, to give us understanding and to help us see your love and help us see that you have an end time people in these last days and lord we want to be a part of that movement and so we pray that you would bless our study tonight give us wisdom and discernment we pray in jesus name amen Amen. the story is told of a young man in ancient greece who wanted to find the truth and so he approached an old wise man there who was considered to be the wisest man in the city the young man asked the old wise man, he said, Wise sir, please tell me, how can I find the truth? Can you lead me to it? The wise man got, got up and he began walking. And the young man followed after him, and they walked through the streets of the city down to the seashore. And the old man kept walking, and he walked all the way into the water. And while they were out there in the water about waist deep, the old man took the young man, And he put his hands upon his head, and the old man dunked this young man and put his face under the water. And three times this young man came up gasping for air, and three times the old man pushed him back down into the water. And by the third time, the young man was screaming, all I wanted to know was how to find the truth. The wise man responded, he said, when you desire truth as much as you desired truth, this breath of air, you will find it. <laughs> There's some wisdom that we can glean from that story, isn't there, friends? From this old Greek wise man. And it's, it's not that the truth is hard to find. The truth is not hard to find. But it's often that our hearts are not really that anxious to know the truth. Especially if it calls for us to have a change in our lifestyle, a change in our habits. Friends, God is not holding the truth back from us. Instead, he is wanting to reveal the truth to his people. Look at what God said to his people in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. He says, "And you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with what?" All of, you. all of your hearts. Friends, this is a promise that you and I can claim. Amen? Amen. But the problem is is that many people are searching in all of the wrong places. In restless boredom, people are seeking to fill the void that is in their hearts with fame, fortune, money, drugs, and even material possessions, only to discover that those things do not bring them lasting satisfaction. And sooner or later, the haunting question of an ancient prophet will echo from the past these words in Isaiah 55 Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy Friends, Jesus understood the temporary satisfaction of possessing material things. And he said this to us in Luke twelve, verse fifteen. He said, One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus was telling us here that materialism truly does not satisfy the deep longings within our hearts. It cannot fill the true void that is there in our hearts. True satisfaction and true contentment can only come by pursuing a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Amen? with our Creator God. And we can deepen that relationship by spending time with God each day. And friends, I hope that as you've come to these meetings, that, that is one thing that you can take away from these meetings is that it's important to spend time with God every day. Amen? And Bible study and prayer, communing with the Lord. And also by witnessing and sharing the truth with others, we can be co-laborers with God. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. We can also deepen our relationship with God with fellowshipping with other believers every week, Amen. And we can fellowship with them at church. But the question arises: Well, what church should I fellowship at? Well, each church claims to have a special message, but unfortunately, many many churches are not following the teachings of the Bible. So the question we want to answer this evening is: Does God call a people on earth His end time people, His end time church? As you look at history, friends, God has always had a faithful people in every age of history that have proclaimed his truth. In the days before the flood, God called Noah to stand for him. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. And Noah appealed to men and women to enter the ark of safety. But unfortunately, the majority rejected God's call. But God still had a few faithful people that entered the ark, and they were his church of that time. There was a call to step out from the majority. There was a call to step out from the popular masses of the day. And there was a call to get on the ark. And friends, today there is a call to obey the God of heaven. There is a call to get on to God's ark of safety, which is his end time church. In the Old Testament, God called Abraham out of the popular majority. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 2, the Bible says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. So God called Abraham out of the popular culture to follow him 100%. And he had, to, he had to trust him, right? Abraham had to trust the Lord that he would show him where to go. And notice what Abraham did. The Bible says in Genesis 26, 5, God said this, Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Friends, Abraham was faithful to the Lord. He desired to do the things that pleased God. And not only did Abraham follow God's commandments, but we also see later on down in history that Moses, that God chose Moses to lead his people and to be faithful to him and to keep the commandments of God. In the days of ancient Israel, God called out a faithful, obedient group. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. He said, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments. How often? Always. Always. How much is always? always? It's always. All the time, right? God has always wanted his people to keep his commandments. And in the days of Noah, a people loved God and they kept his commandments and they got unto the ark. In the days of Abraham, a people loved God. They stepped out from the majority and they kept God's commandments. In the days of ancient Israel, a people loved God and they also kept his commandments. God called them his chosen people, his special people for that time. In the days of the New Testament, God also had a special people. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the apostles and the disciples preached powerfully, and by God's grace, they turned the world upside down for Jesus. And thousands stepped out and became part of God's special people. They loved Jesus, and they kept his commandments. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And we see, we see that in the days of Peter and the early church that God indeed had his special people. And the verse continues, it says, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. His marvelous lights. Friends, God called them out of darkness into his light. Out of, from, from error, he called them into the truth. From commandment breaking, he called them to commandment keeping. And throughout the centuries, God has had men and women who have been faithful to him. They have been called his church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul gives a definition of what the church is. He he writes this. He says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. The scriptures say the church is the custodian of the truth it is the steward of truth and you find truth where friends we find the truth in god's word amen? amen we find the truth there in god's word and friends god's end time people should be a people of this book this should be our textbook friends this should be what we study each and every day let's look now at a prayer that jesus prayed in john chapter 17 He prayed this, he said that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you, that they may believe that, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Christ prayed and he wanted his church to be one. He wanted his church to be united under the truth. And just four verses earlier, Jesus prayed this, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But friends, there cannot be true unity in the church of God when people abandon and compromise the truth. Friends, there is an ecumenical movement going on in Christianity today that is currently trying to unite Christians everywhere. And what they are doing is they're encouraging everyone to drop doctrine. They're saying that doctrines and the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, are not important. All we need is love. That is what they're saying. But friends, True unity can only come when we unite in the truth of God's word. Jesus told us in John 8, 32, he said that you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Friends, the truth can be known in these last days. Truth sets us free. And the good news is that God is not trying to hide the truth. He is trying to do all that he can to reveal the truth to you and to me. But if we come locked in our own opinions, we won't be able to understand What his truth is. But if we come come to God with an open mind and with an honest heart, God will will reveal his truth to us. His desire has been this in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in his body. Friends, and there would have been no schism in the body of Christ. No division had the church followed all of the teachings of the Bible. But the apostle Paul said that apostasy would come, and with apostasy came division. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 30 writes Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So here we see that the Bible predicted this in the early days of Christianity that there would be a departure from the true teachings of the Word of God. And The book of Revelation describes God's end time people, people that would cling to the truth at any cost to themselves. Revelation chapter 12 describes God's faithful people down through the ages as well as Satan's vicious attacks against God's people in four distinct episodes that we're going to take a look at tonight. It also reveals to us without a shadow of a doubt the identifying characteristics of God's end-time church. Revelation chapter 12 verse 1, the Bible begins, "Now a great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars." So here in Revelation chapter 12, it it uh, tells us that it begins by describing a pure woman. Now, notice, remember what we saw last night. We saw last night that in the Bible, a woman represents what? A church. church. We saw that from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jeremiah wrote, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. Who is Zion? Well, through through Isaiah, God said, Say to Zion, you are my people. So we can see from these texts that God used a virtuous woman to represent his true people. The Apostle Paul also used this kind of terminology to describe the Corinthian church. He said in 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. So here the Apostle Paul presents the church as Christ's bride. So this woman of Revelation chapter 12 represents God's special people in different time periods of earth's history. Then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, episode 1 begins with the battle between good and evil, also known as the Great Controversy, which we looked at extensively in presentation number 4. The Bible says, And war broke out, where? In heaven. heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who does what? He deceives the whole world. He he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So in episode one, we see that Satan rebels against God in heaven. But the good news is, is that Christ wins and Satan loses. And so Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven. And friends, the reason why we have wars on this earth is because there was first a war, where? In heaven. in heaven. Then it continues in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It describes what happens next in episode 2. It says, and the dragon, who would, who would the dragon be? It would be the devil, right? Working through pagan Rome in this instance. The dragon working through pagan Rome stood before the woman, that is God's people, the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Friends, who is this child? It is Jesus. It is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Did Satan try to destroy Jesus when he was born? Absolutely Absolutely he did. He inspired King Herod to pass a decree to kill all the male children two years and younger. But God led Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt and God preserved them there. Years later, Christ was tempted in the wilderness, but Satan appeared to him as an angel of light. But again, Satan failed. Then when Jesus was on the cross, Satan continued to, he was trying to tempt Jesus. But Christ went into the grave, friends, and he rose up victorious. Amen? Revelation chapter 12 describes this. It says, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Friends, after the mission of salvation was accomplished, Jesus ascended to his father. So we've seen in in episode episode 2 of Revelation 12 that Satan once again tries to destroy Jesus, but once again Christ wins and Satan loses. Friends, are you noticing a trend here? Christ wins. If you're on his side, you will be on the winning side. And if you are on Satan's side, you will be on the losing side because Satan is a loser. Amen? Amen. He is a loser. You can remember that one, okay? In episode 3, we see that Satan turns his wrath on the woman once again, the true followers of Christ. And all but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. The church and state united in the days of Constantine, as we have seen, and it remained united throughout the Dark Ages. And for a while, the, the church enjoyed the state's favor and the unusual popularity that it had, And this was a time of great compromise, as we saw in previous presentations. Pagans were coming into the church at a very rapid pace. One historian described it this way. He said, The new Christians were, as far as thinking and habits went, the same old pagans. There was no change. There was no change in their life. They were the same old pagans. Their surge into the churches did not wipe out paganism. On the contrary, hordes of baptized pagans meant that paganism had diluted the moral energies of organized Christianity to the point of impotence. However, during this time period many Christians remained faithful to God and they protested against the changes that had crept into the church. They refused to compromise their beliefs and many were persecuted as they took their stand for God. And soon the Roman emperors issued edicts making it a crime to reject the false teachings of the church, which was punishable by death. The History of the Popes, volume two, page 334, describes this terrible persecution that took place. It says that great numbers were driven from their habitations with their wives and children, stripped and naked, many of them inhumanely massacred. Friends, that is the incredibly sad but true history of what happened during the Dark Ages. It was absolutely awful. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, then describes what happens to God's people next. There's good news. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. Friends, does that sound like a good place? Any place that has been prepared by God for us is a good place, amen? That the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that she should feed her there for 1,200 in sixty days. So when Satan attempted to destroy the church in the dark ages, the woman or the church fled into the wilderness. Verse 14 also describes the same event. It says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished from the presence of the serpent. So the true church went into hiding and God had a place prepared for her. So during the Dark Ages, we see that the large popular church reigned and it cast truth to the ground. Well, Christ's woman, the true church, was hiding where? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. So how long would the church be hiding in the wilderness? Well, notice it was for 1,260 days. Now remember, we've seen this before. In Bible prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. We find this in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, which says, I have given you a day for a year. And then Numbers 14, 34, which says, I have appointed a day for a year. So the true church is in the wilderness for 1,260 years. It is a very long time period. And as we've studied in previous lectures, this time period began in A.D. 538, and it ended in 1798, why did it begin in 538 you ask well in ad 538 the roman emperor justinian gave the pope of rome both religious and civil authority and also in that year the last of the tribes battling against papal rome was defeated and during much of this time the papacy had more power than the kings of europe themselves in this picture which may be a little hard for you to see the Pope is actually crowning one of the kings of Europe. That's how much power they had, the popes had in those days. But at this time, God's true church was in the wilderness. At times, they had to hide in desolate mountain places like the Waldenses and the Albigenses. Their faithful men and women clung to the truths of God's word. Then, during the latter part of the 1260 years, as we saw, I believe last night, God raised up the Protestant reformers, people like John Huss, people like Martin Luther, William Tyndale, John Calvin, and John Wesley. They weren't perfect people, though, friends, but God used them to restore the truth. Amen? Amen. Little by little, it was being restored, and they stood up against many of the errors of the popular church, but unfortunately, many of them were persecuted, and sadly, many of them lost their lives. Revelation chapter 12 verse 16 has good news though friends it says that the persecution would not last forever it says this it says that the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth now in previous presentations we saw that in Revelation chapter 17 verse 15 that water or seas represent what peoples, right? Or a highly populated area of the world. Now, if the sea represents a highly populated area of the world, then the earth would represent a relatively unpopulated area of the world. And last weekend, we saw that the lamb-like beast of Revelation chapter 13, that is the second beast in Revelation, represented which country? USA. The United States of America. That's right. And we saw that it would come up from the earth, from a relatively unpopulated area of the world. And as a young nation with no monarchy, it helped God's people. And in the early days of America, millions of Protestants were fleeing persecution that they were experiencing in Europe. And they came here for religious freedom. And friends, I praise God for the freedoms we still have. Amen? And I pray that God will continue to preserve those freedoms as long as possible, that as many as possible might hear the truth. So we see here that the Bible says that the earth helped the woman. And so God's people were safe from the dragon who was working through the papacy of the dark ages. So in episode 3 of Revelation chapter 12, we've seen once again that Satan tried to destroy God's pure woman, the church, But once again, we see that Christ wins and Satan loses. And why did he lose? Because he's a loser. Amen? Amen. And Jesus is the conquering king. The Bible uh, continues here. The wilderness period ended in 1798 with the capture of the Pope. We've talked about this by Napoleon's general Berthier. Now here's where the prophecy becomes fascinating. Sometime after 1798, God would raise up his end-time movement. The, the book of Revelation describes uh, the identifying characteristics of God's end-time church in these words. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 says, And the dragon was wroth. What does that word mean? Angry. It means that he was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, that is, those that are left, which keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now notice the remnant of her seed, that is the rest of the woman's offspring, it's it's God's remnant people. They're described with two main characteristics. Number 1, they keep the commandments of God, and number 2, they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, some may think, well, don't all churches teach that we should obey the commandments of God? No, unfortunately, they don't, friends. Many churches teach their members in one way or another that it's okay to only keep 9 out of the 10 commandments. For example, some churches also teach believers that they should bow that it's okay to bow down to images and to pray to the saints. Are those would that be contrary to the commandments of God? Absolutely it would. Sadly, most churches have lost sight of the fourth commandment of the Bible Sabbath, the memorial of God's creative power. They've said, well, that, that commandment, that one just doesn't apply. Or it, maybe it applies to the first day of the week. But friends, the fourth commandment doesn't say, remember the first day to keep it holy. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do how much work? No work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God's last day church will keep all of the Ten Commandments, including the Bible Sabbath, because it's the day that God especially blessed. It's the day that he sanctified, he set it apart as a holy day. And then we see that God also rested from his work on that day. So God's last day church will follow Jesus' example. They will keep the commandments not to earn their salvation, not out of legalism, but it's out of love for God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, friends, do you love Jesus? He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Friends, love always leads us to obedience. God's end time church will also be a grace-filled church. They are a group of people who love Jesus And by God's grace, they seek to love others. They are people of the new covenant experience. Check out what Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says about the new covenant experience. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws where? Into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Friends, in the new covenant, God writes his law in our hearts and in our minds so that we know that his commandments are a blessing. However, God's last day people are not super saints. They are weak, they falter, and they make mistakes. They often have to weep at the feet of Jesus in confession and repentance, but they're committed to Christ, amen? And they believe that God has raised up an end time movement for these last days. So here we see that God's end time remnant people will be a commandment keeping people and they will have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Well, and, 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 uh, anytime you have a question about a particular verse in the Bible, friends, it's best to look in the context of that passage. You start in that local passage, then you branch out to other, um, other chapters that that same author has written and then you look at the Bible as a whole. And uh, look how that same author, John, uses that phrase elsewhere just a few chapters later. In Revelation 19.10, John tells us that the testimony of Jesus is what? It's the spirit of prophecy. So here the Bible talks about the gift of prophecy being present in God's last day church. And we'll talk more about that in our second presentation here tonight. So that you can learn about the difference and, and how to tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. Paul says that the church waiting for the coming of Christ will come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all the gifts of the Spirit will be manifest in God's end-time church. We will see miraculous healings even from time to time if God so chooses. He blesses his his end-time church with unusual prophetic insights. God's church will be a Spirit-filled church that impacts the world for Christ. Revelation chapter 14 describes God's last day message. So let's check it out one more time. It's familiar to us in our seminar thus far. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. The Bible says, Then I, John, saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Friends, will God's end time church be a little non-denominational church in a little regional area of the country No. no it will not friends it will be a worldwide it will be a global movement that is proclaiming the everlasting gospel to every nation tribe tongue and people saying with a loud voice fear god and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come friends how do we give glory to god well, to glorify God means to honor him with how we live, both in our diets and also in our lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 10:31 says, "Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God." Amen. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6:19 and 20 tells us, "Do you not know that your body is the temple of who? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God?" And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Friends, we should glorify God in all that we do because we love him. And the Bible says also for the hour of his judgment has come. The angel flying in the midst of heaven represents a church, a movement which calls people to be accountable to the God of heaven for our actions. In an age of irresponsibility, God is calling for moral responsibility. He's calling for obedience in these last days. This is a special time in earth's history. It's not business as usual, friends. No more sinful pleasures as usual. The hour of God's judgment has come. The three angels' messages it continues. It says in Revelation 14 seven, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Friends, in an age of evolution, here is a call to worship God as our creator God. And what day did he set aside for us to worship him on? The Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a part of God's last day end time message because it calls people back to worshiping God as the creator God. God's last day message continues in Revelation 14.8. It says, and another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We looked at this last night, but we saw that in Bible prophecy, wine represents false doctrines, false teachings. And Babylon, Babylon symbolizes a system of religious confusion. But God is calling his people out of spiritual confusion. And he's calling them to know and understand his truths. His end time people will restore truths that have been long lost sight of. Truths that were cast to the ground during the dark ages. Friends, I believe we must cling to truth in these last days. Amen? Again, this message to come out of Babylon is given in Revelation chapter 18 verse 4. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her... What? My people. Friends, does God have His people in other churches? Absolutely He does. And He is calling them to greater faithfulness. He's calling them to come out of spiritual confusion. And then it continues. It says, Lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Friends, do any of you want to receive the plagues? No. No, you do not want to receive the plagues. It will not be pleasant. Jesus gently says to His people in all religious denominations, Come out of her my people god not only calls us out of something but god calls us into something he's calling his people out of babylon to step into a worldwide movement in a, into a spirit-filled bible-believing commandment-keeping movement a jesus-loving a people-loving end-time group jesus makes a final appeal to the world in these three angels Messages. It's an urgent end-time message, friends. The first angel's message is a call to accept Jesus totally, completely, and fully as your Savior and your Lord. The second angel's message is a call to come out of religious confusion that so many churches are in. The next angel follows with the most urgent appeal in all of the Bible. Revelation 14, 9 and 10 says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So here's an end time message, a warning about receiving the mark of the beast. It presents the final conflict between true worship and false worship. And friends, God's end time people will choose to receive the seal of God rather than the mark of the beast. The third angel's message regarding the mark of the beast calls all men and women to total commitment to Christ. So God's end time church will meet the identifying characteristics of the true church in Revelation 12 and also Revelation 14. Number one, it will recapture the pure faith and the love of the disciples. It will teach Bible truths that the apostles believed but were lost sight of during the dark ages. It will be a loving church. Amen? Amen? A church that shows the love of Christ to those that they interact with on a daily basis. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By, all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love, love for one another. Friends, this is agape love. And, and where do we get agape love from? God. We get it from God. God pours his agape love into our hearts so that we can love like Jesus Loves. God's end time church will have two characteristics according to Revelation twelve, seventeen. They will keep the commandments of God, including the Bible Sabbath, and they will believe in spiritual gifts, including the gift of prophecy. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church qualifies on both of these points. And fourth, it will be a worldwide mission-driven movement. They will proclaim the three angels' messages to the whole world, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Friends, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is in more countries than any other Protestant church in the world. Did you know that? Being in over 215 countries out of the 237 countries recognized by the United Nations. God is doing a great work, amen? and the gospel is going out. And the fifth characteristic is that God's end-time church will come out of hiding in seven, after 1798. And as we mentioned, God's church was hiding in the wilderness for how long? 1,260 years, right? And we saw that this ended in the year 1798. Sixth, God's end-time church will glorify God in their diet and in their lifestyle and in all that they do. It will be a movement that says fear God and give glory to him. It will encourage people to give up harmful substances as well as unclean foods. It will call people to accept God's end time truths. And lastly, God's end time church will have the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. What kind of faith did Jesus have? He had an unshakable faith. He had an unwavering faith. He had a faith that relied completely on his father. Amen? Amen. Likewise, we must rely upon God just like Jesus did, that we can overcome Satan's attacks in these last days. Friends, I am a Seventh-day Adventist because I believe that this church fulfills the characteristics of God's end-time church. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because I haven't found another church that is following the Bible as closely as this church. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because I want to be a part of a worldwide movement that is proclaiming the everlasting gospel to the world. I want to be a part of a church that teaches that salvation is not by works, but it is by grace through faith. I, I want to be a part of a church that uplifts Jesus Christ as Savior. I want to be a part of a movement that follows in the footsteps of Bible heroes. People like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Matthew, Mark and John, who kept the commandments of God and they desired to do the will of God. I want to be a part of a movement that understands that our bodies are the temple of God. A movement that calls us to glorify God in our bodies because we are physical, mental, and spiritual beings. Because what we put into our body affects our spiritual life, friends. It does. God's church is not in the majority. You can never base truth on a majority vote. Most of the time, friends, the majority has not been right when it comes to understanding Bible truths. God's church is not the most popular church, but truth rarely wins a popularity contest. God's end time church is not the most spectacular, but God values truth more than he values architecture, friends. God's end-time church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders. Truth is truth whether religious leaders accept it as truth or not. Amen? Amen. But the real issue is not what, what some religious leaders think. The real issue is what does it say in God's word? What does Jesus say? What does God require of us? Because. The question in in the final judgment, friends, is is not going to be, what did your pastor say? It will be, what did Jesus say? And deep within your hearts, friends, do you long for the truth? Are you searching for a worldwide movement that follows all of God's word? Maybe you've been coming to these meetings and there has been a struggle going on in your mind from what you have previously understood and you are learning new truths but you're convicted on these truths that you've found and you sense that the Holy Spirit is leading you. Friends, I want to give you an opportunity this evening to respond to our message tonight. We have some deacons that are going to be handing out a response card to you. And I'd like to go through this with you. We've learned a lot in our series thus far, haven't we? Yes. And it has been a wonderful blessing to learn God's truth and to see that he has an end time movement in these last days that seeks to glorify God in our lifestyle and by keeping the commandments of Jesus. And friends, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message here tonight. God has been working in our lives and he's been leading us and guiding us to know the truth. And I want to go through this card with you. I know not everyone has it, but I'm going to go ahead and start. Um, It says right there, my decision for Jesus. Friends, this is the decision you're making for Jesus. It's not a decision you're making for me or for anyone else here in this room, but it's your decision for Jesus. The first box there, it says, it is clear to me that a remnant is an authentic continuation of the original and that in the last days, the pure faith of Jesus is to be once again taught. If that is clear to you, friends, that God will have an end time remnant people Check that box. The second box says, I want to follow Jesus completely and I want to be a part of his last day remnant who are described as keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. If that's your desire, friends, to be among that number that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, check that box. Friends, you're not going to be able to do it in your own power. Amen? You can do it with Jesus living in you. He will give you the power. And third, the third box says, I would like to be a part of a worldwide movement that fits this prophetic description, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. If it's your desire to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I would encourage you to check that box and I would love to be able to talk to you about that decision further. And then that fourth box is, I would like more information on this subject. Friends, if you have questions, we would be happy to meet with you to talk about these questions and you can even write your questions on the back of the card if there's a pressing question that you have please write that on the back of the card and and our deacons will collect this card here in a moment if you filled out one of these cards before and you put your address and phone number on it you don't have to fill all that in again we have your information from the last time so just write your name on there and uh, the decisions that you've chosen to make for jesus Friends, why not make the decision tonight to follow the truth of God's word all the way? Why not make your decision tonight? There is unparalleled joy which comes from following God's truth. And God invites us to make that decision tonight. Friends, I've never met a person who said, well, I wish I would have made my decision for Christ. I wish I would have waited to make my decision for Christ. No one ever says that, friends. Instead, I've met people who have said, well, I wish I would have made this decision many, many years ago. Friends, this is your hour. This is our moment. Why not bow our heads tonight and invite Jesus to lead us, to continue to lead us and guide us into the truth. Friends, let's bow our heads for prayer as we close. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that we see in your word clearly, Lord, that you have an end time movement in these last days. Lord, a people who keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. And Lord, we want to be a part of that number, Lord. So often, Lord, we stumble and we fall. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, there's so much spiritual confusion in our world. But Lord, we saw last night that you are calling a people out of Babylon And Lord, we've seen tonight that you are calling your people into your remnant church in these last days, Father, that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Lord, please live in our hearts. Lord, please pour your love into our hearts. Lord, may we reflect your love and your character to a world that is dying all around us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to proclaim the everlasting gospel. Lord, help us to share this message with the world around us. Lord, there are so many out there that don't know you. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and your feet on this planet. Lord, help us to be your messengers that go and to proclaim the everlasting gospel. Lord, bless each one of us. Give us courage, Father. Give us boldness as you gave the early apostles. Lord, you gave them boldness to preach and to proclaim your truth and to share it with others. And we pray that you would do the same for us, Lord. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.